and clapping. Fantastic. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10 on this Independence Day. And I'd like to begin with this question. And the question is, what do you want? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask that question? What is it that you, that you really want? I'm going to ask you to write that down. If you could just summarize it in a word or two. What is it that you want? As, and I hope, I hope you are able to reflect on this as we try to get a fresh glimpse of God's glory today from 1 Samuel chapter 10. After all, that's what we just sang about. We just sang, glory, glory, hallelujah. And, and we want to get a fresh glimpse of God's glory today from 1 Samuel chapter 10. But before we get there, what is it, what is it that you want? And, and some of you, you might write down what, what I want is a next step in a relationship. So I want to go from single to dating. I want to go from dating to being engaged. I want to go from being engaged to being married. I want to have kids. What is it, what is it that you want? Well, I want my kids to come home. What is it that you want? And it might be like on the 4th of July when it, everyone else it looks like they're having a ball with the people they love, you're kind of faced with what you don't have. And this is what I really, really, really want. What is it that you want? Other people might say, you know, what I want is I want a few more dollars in the bank so that when my old car breaks, I can fix it. So that when rent comes due, and it has this terrible habit of coming due every month, I can pay it. And I won't have to worry all the time about money. What I want, what I want is a few more dollars. Some of us might say what we want is we want to move up a rung of the ladder at work. Or we want to move up a rung of the ladder of physical fitness. We want to drop a few pounds or we want to add a few pounds of muscle. We, but what we want is to move up. What we want is to be more successful. What we want is to be, to achieve more. Now, the next question I have, okay, so if you're, if you're thinking about what do I want, the next question I have for you is, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Okay, so if you said, what I want is I want the relationship, I, I, would, I would offer you, it may be that underneath that is that you believe that happiness would come from a meaningful relationship. That a meaningful relationship would be part of the key to being happy. If you said, what I want is a few more dollars, and uh, just a few more dollars, I don't need to be rich, just a few more dollars. It might be that you think the key to happiness at least involves security. I ask you, what do you want? And if you said, I want to move up or wrong of the ladder, I want to improve, I want to, I want to get better. It might be that you think that at a key to happiness is being successful, is moving up, is being respected, is the satisfaction that comes with getting better. 
But what do you want? We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and see what the people of Israel wanted. And part of this is really important because this has direct relationship to what you and I want. So we'll see, you know, as we think about them, I want you thinking about you. As you think about what they want, I want you thinking about what you want. And as you think about why they wanted what they wanted, I want you thinking about why you want what you want. And we'll ask, what is it that God wants them to want? Okay? Let's pray before we jump in. Lord, I just ask that you would stand in front of me while I stand in front of them. And that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Because we're your people. Lord, do this for your glory, our good, and the world's sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel, chapter 10, verse 17. Now Samuel called the people people together to the Lord. Like, hey guys, come on together, you're going to meet with God. And he did this at Mizpah. Mizpah is near what was then Jebus, what would become Jerusalem. You can see that near the Dead Sea. I outlined the Dead Sea just kind of as a point of reference. We'll see a bigger map later on that you'll want to know where we are in relationship to Israel. The Dead Sea is a good reference point. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. Hey, why is God bringing this up? Well, we'll see. This is in relationship to what they want. They want something that God's not happy that they want. And because they want something that God doesn't want them to want, he's reminding them of their salvation. He's reminding them of who they are. He's reminding them of their history. He's saying, I know what you want, and I'm not happy because you forgot how you got where you are. You forgot that I've saved you. You forgot how I've taken care of you. And, and he knows that they've forgotten because they want what they shouldn't want. Okay, so what is it that they want? Well, we'll get to that. So let's back up. Samuel calls the people to the Lord at Mizpah. And they all gather, and he says... To them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. You see the Dead Sea up there, Egypt to Israel. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God. Okay, so why have they rejected their God? Because they want, because of what they want. They want something, and in wanting that thing, they are rejecting their God. What do they want? Well, we're almost there. But today you have rejected your God. And listen, this is not new, okay? So it seemed like we just kind of jumped into this story. Well, this has a backstory, and it goes back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, where they came and asked for a king in the first place. And so... In 8.7, God says, you're rejecting me when you ask for this. Okay, so, but today you have rejected your God. 
who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. I love that verse. We're going to come back to that again and again this morning. You've rejected God who saves you. Like, not the fact that they rejected God, but the fact that God saves us from all our calamities and distresses. That is awfully good news. You rejected the God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. This is also cited in 1 Samuel 8, 8. And you have said to him, set a king over us. So what did they want? They want a king. Now, is a king a bad thing? No, we learn in Deuteronomy that God had made plans for them to have a king. What was wrong is they want a king because they're not happy with how God is being king. So it's like they're looking up at God and saying, you are not doing a very good job. We want a human king because that will just help us out so much. We'll feel so much more secure and safe and happy if we have a human king. And you might be going, how could they be so silly? How could they be so silly? Do you never want the wrong thing? I want the wrong thing all the time. And it's silly. That's a nice word. That's not the word I was thinking of. <laughs> they say to God, we want a king. Well, why would they want a king? Well, they're a loose confederation of tribes. They don't have a central government. They don't have a standing army. They don't have that stuff. So when the bad guys come in and attack... And the bad guys have a king. And the bad guys have a standing army. When the bad guys come in and attack, all they can do is trust God and look to the judge or the leader that God has given them. And they're going, this is not a long-term plan. We don't like the plan that God gave. And God himself, you know, sometimes he wins the battle for us. Sometimes he doesn't show up. We want a human king that will give us what we feel like is a measure of control. That will make us happy. And so God says, in asking for this, you've rejected me. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord, your tribes, by your tribes and by your thousands. So Samuel says, this is what you want. You want a king? All right. Everybody get together. And you're kind of bracing yourself now, like somebody's going to get in trouble. God just said they rejected him by asking for this. Somebody's going to get in trouble. Is that what happens? Well, let's see. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So they all gather, and we figure out, okay, the king is going to come from Benjamin. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin uh, near by its clans, and the clan of the Matarites was taken by Lot. So of all the clans of Benjamin, we know that the king is going to come from the Matarites. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So of all the Matarites, we find out that the king is Saul. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord and said, is he still on his way? Like, what, what's going on? Why can't we find him? Is there a man still to come? Like, is he just not here yet? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Hey, why did they want a king? Remember, they wanted a king to lead them into battle. 
to go out before us, to be strong and victorious and brave. They wanted a king that would solve the Philistine problem and the Ammonite problem. They wanted a king that would lead the standing army. And they can't find him because he's hiding in the baggage. And you're going, how could they not see this coming? How could they be so blind? Aren't you saying that? Come on, you're saying that? Yes. And when we look back at our past sometimes, we look at ourselves and go, how could I not see that coming? How could I be so blind? How could I not see the warning signs? How could I not hear the... the, How did I miss this? But see, desire makes us stupid. Then they ran and took him from there. Yay, yay, we found him. And he stood among the people, and he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward, a magnificent specimen of humanity. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Because, like earlier, they'll say, this is, you're, You wanted this, so you're going to get it. They're like, this is, the, this is the one the Lord picked out that exactly meets your specifications. God's going to give you exactly what you want. There is none like him among all the people. I mean, there's nobody more the king you're looking for than this guy. And all the people shouted, finally, we have a king. Finally, we have a king. Yay, long live the king. And in saying this, of course, they're rejecting God as king. Then Samuel told the people all the rights and duties of kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. And Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. Um, Samuel and Saul lived very near each other. And with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And you know what? I'm kind of with the worthless fellows. I don't, I don't like to be with the worthless fellows very often, but in this case, I kind of am. I don't, I don't know why we would doubt them. But anyway, they're worthless fellows, and they say that, and Saul shows humility or cowardice or something and just lets it go. And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. You remember the original question? The original question was, what do you want? What did they want? They wanted a king. They wanted a king because they thought a king would make them happy. A king would make them secure. A king would just bring order to the world. It would, it would help them defend their borders. A king would just, it would just make things more efficient. They wanted a king. Then they'd be like all the other nations. They wanted A king. What do you want? 
They wanted a king in spite of all the warnings. I just want you to know, I mean, it's not like the only warning was Saul hiding in the baggage. Do you remember, I mean, I don't know if, if you're all with us all the time. I know, I know we have, like, people watching for the first time or people here for the first time because it's 4th of July. But back in chapter 8, they asked for a king, and Samuel says, you want a king? I'm going to tell you what a king's going to be like. Remember the phrase that they repeat? Those of you who are here, remember the phrase they repeat? He will take, 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 and he will take. And they're like, we don't care because desire makes you stupid. What do you want? What does God want them to want? God wants them. Okay, this is key. If you remember anything, you might remember this. God wants them to be happy in him. He wants them to believe that he is enough. He wants them to be content with him. This is what God wants. He wants them to be happy in him. So this is why God takes it personally. It's why God says, when they ask for a king, they are rejecting me. So in verse 19, you saw this, chapter 10, verse 19. But today you have rejected your God. Well, what's the opposite of rejecting your God? It's being happy in the Lord. It's saying the Lord is enough. The Lord is king. And I'm thankful that the Lord is king. This is also what happened back in chapter 8. So, you know, I've had it up on the screen a couple times. I'd like to read it to you. Chapter 8, verse 7, the, key, the people come to Samuel and they say, make us a king. And Samuel says, that kind of hurts my feelings because I've been leading you all this time. And they say, but your sons are ungodly and you're obsolete. And he's like, that really hurts my feelings. And he goes to God and God says, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They've been rejecting me since I brought them out of Egypt. How's it taste? And, and so you see this in chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse 8, According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt. Remember the picture of Egypt up there? Remember the Dead Sea being circled? I brought them out of Egypt. I brought them into the promised land. And they've been rejecting me ever since. How's it taste? The opposite of that is being happy in the Lord, being content in the Lord, saying the Lord is enough. But look, I mean, it is, it is deep within our nature to not be content in the Lord. To not be happy in the Lord. To want other things. I mean, this is as old as the Bible. I mean, if you think back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember God said, you get the whole thing. Adam and Eve. He said, you get the whole thing. Eat whatever you want except the one thing. Don't eat. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what was the one thing that they absolutely had to have? What was the one thing that they could not be happy without? You get all of it. You get the whole thing. What was the one thing they absolutely had to have? You know, and they go up to it and look at it. And 
Yeah, I'm in chapter Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there if you want, because I'm going to be right back at 1 Samuel chapter 10. But if, if you want to turn there, you can. Chapter 3, verse 6, Genesis. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It was to be desired. It was to be wanted. Like, how can you live without the knowledge of good and evil? Like, how can you live without the forbidden fruit? How can you possibly go through life and not have that? I have to have that. This is what you wanted. I'm just telling you, this might save you a lot of pain. It might save you a lot of discontent. It's possible to want, want uh, let me slow down. It's possible to want the wrong thing. It's possible to spend year after year after year wanting the wrong thing. And when you finally get it, it's not what you thought it would be. God knows us, and this is why God knows he's the only one that can satisfy us. He's the only one that can bring us true joy and contentment and happiness. And this is why he wants us to be happy in him. So we don't waste our lives wanting the wrong thing. I mean, you've, you've all experienced this as true with little kids. I'm going to tell you a story that's my story. But you think about your story because you've all done something like this. I, I'm just telling you, you've all done this or seen it. You know what story I'm going to tell? Yeah. So... When Caleb was little enough to stand on a chair at the counter, I guess he could still do that. But it was an appropriate thing for him to stand on a chair at the counter. And he's standing on the chair, looking, watching me do something. I don't remember what I was doing, but I had lemon juice. Concentrate. Concentrate lemon juice on the counter. And he just had to have it. And I'm like, Caleb, you don't want this. He had to have it. I want that. I'm like, you don't want this. You don't, you probably don't, like, it's going to be hard for you to believe, but sometimes Caleb can be pushy. And he gets it from his mom. No, no. Those of you that know, no, I have the corner on the pushy market. I'm a pretty pushy guy. So, so I'm seeing myself and Caleb, like, just pushing, just relentlessly pushing. I have to have it. I want it. Give me some, you know, like, just asking, 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 asking. So finally, I'm like, all right. So I, you know, poured him about a cap full. You know, not a lot, but enough. So that, and I, I remember looking him in the eye and he looked at me. This is so that you know that if I tell you you don't want something, you don't want it. Of course, he probably doesn't remember that. I'm sure he doesn't remember that. You know, you, why do I even tell him? You know, he's too young to even comprehend that. Of course, you know what happens next. And he takes a drink of the lemon juice and... The look on his face, you know, the whole thing. You know what happens because you have a similar story. You've done a similar thing with a kid in your life. And you're going, no, I'm not that mean. Well, maybe you're not. I don't know. But this is what I'm saying. You can waste your life wanting the wrong thing. might be that you've wanted something and 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 God has not given it to you 
And you're like, why is God so mean? Why is God holding out? Why won't God give this to me? Well, it it might be because we live in a broken world. It might be that. But it might be that you don't know what you're asking for. It might be that he knows it would destroy you. That he knows it would distract you. That he knows this would be like poison for you. It might be that he knows better than you. It might be that he hasn't given it to you because it wouldn't be good for you. It might be that him giving that to you would be like, okay, this is going to be grace in your life so that you see that you need me. I think this is why God sometimes gives us what we ask for is a way of wooing us back so that we can see the emptiness in what we're pursuing. You guys know who Jim Carrey is? Jim Carrey said this. I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can be truly happy. I think that's what he said. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. Jim Carrey knows what he's talking about. In his day, who was more rich and famous than him? Freddie Mercury was another rock star. Like, he really was a rock star. We joke about people being rock stars. He was a rock star. And he said, you can have everything in the world, and that will make you happy. No, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Because all your dreams have come true and you're still empty. Because you finally got what you've been chasing your whole life and you find out that that's not it. So what do you want? What do you want? God wants you to be happy in him. Now, how do you do that? Okay, so how would you go about being happy in him? If you said, all right, I I need to be happy in the Lord. I can see that this is not working, that me chasing all this other stuff is, is not, it's empty. I can see, you know, I've gotten a taste of the lemon juice a couple times, speaking metaphorically, and I don't want to do that anymore. So if I was going to be happy in the Lord, how would I go about being happy in the Lord? Well, do you see what... Samuel says to them in chapter 10, verse 18. So Samuel calls the people to the Lord in in chapter 10, verse 17. And then what did he say to them? Verse 18. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. What does he say? I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. That's the key. How do you stay happy in the Lord? By remembering that he is the one that saves us. By remembering how he has saved us. By remembering that he's the one that brought us to where we are. 
but remembering that he's the way out of where we are, but remembering that he is our salvation. By being thankful for his salvation. So look at verse 19. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from your calamities and distresses. That's it. He's saying this is how to be happy in the Lord. How to be happy in the Lord is to remember what he did for you in Egypt. I don't know if you remember. That's what the same thing he said in chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. You've rejected me, but you've been, they've been rejecting me the whole time, even though I brought them out of Egypt. Like, how do you be happy in the Lord? You remember his salvation. You give thanks for his salvation. He's like, remember what I did for you in Egypt. Remember how I brought you through the wilderness. Remember how I brought you into the promised land. And remember how I saved you from calamity after calamity after distress after distress. Remember that. Throughout the whole time of the judges, I saved you again and again and again and again. Why won't you be happy in me? How can we be happy in the Lord? Well, we set our mind on giving thanks for the Lord's salvation. We set our mind on giving thanks for the Lord's salvation. We take joy in the Lord. That he loves us. That he's called us. That he's chosen us. That he's saved us. This is, this is the key to being happy in the Lord. Is remembering the Lord and remembering that he saved us. This was the key for them. This is why we read all the verses about the Exodus. This is why the Lord kept bringing up to them like their salvation story when he saved them from Egypt. He's saying, remember this and give thanks. He even gave them Passover so that they'd have this feast to remind them to be thankful for how he'd saved them. Can you look back? On your salvation and be thankful for God, how God saved you. This is the key to being happy in the Lord. Is to remember how he saved us and how he's brought us through. Look at verse 19. Who saves you from your calamities and distresses. Can you look back on your life and see how God has brought you through calamity after distress, after calamity, after distress? Can you look back on your life and see God's hand guiding you, directing you, protecting you? Sometimes, not answering your prayers, not giving you what you want. You know, the Lord saved them. Brought them through calamity after distress, calamity after distress throughout the time of the kings and then throughout the exile and then brought them back to the land and then throughout the intertestamental, the time between the New Testament and the Old, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Lord brought them through that time. Then the Lord came himself in the person of Jesus, lived among us, walked among us, taught us, lived in perfect obedience to the Father, Walk towards Jerusalem. Like, this just stood out to me this week. I wasn't going to say this, but I just have to. You think of Saul shirking, hiding from responsibility among the baggage. And you contrast that with Jesus walking towards Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to be crucified. 
ready to give his life as a ransom for ours. This is the king we follow. This is the king we're happy in. Okay? He comes, he walks to, towards Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, when he knows he's going to die, he reminds them the Passover, and he says, this finds its fulfillment in me. This, the Exodus, pointed to a greater Exodus. Points to a greater salvation where I am going to give my life for yours, me for you, my body for you, my blood for you, me for you. I'll die in your place so that you can be saved. And remember, he gave them that meal, that bread and that cup, and he said, remember what he said? Do this in remembrance of me. How? How do we give thanks for God's salvation? By, by remembering what Jesus did. By remembering what Jesus saved us from. By remembering how Jesus saved us. By remembering how he's walked us through the different calamities and distresses of life. So what do you want? What do you want? You know, being a pretty driven person, I have a pretty active wanter. And it can get pretty sidetracked. But here's the thing I want to want. And here's the thing I want you to want. And here's the thing I want my neighbors to want. And here's the thing I want our nation to want and I want the world to want. I want them and I want me to be happy in the Lord and his salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you to pull us towards yourself today. Lord, use this time of communion, this time of the Lord's Supper, this time of remembering how you allowed your body to be sacrificed and your blood to be shed so that we can remember how you saved us and what you saved us from and where you've taken, taken us now. Lord, I, I pray that you would pull us towards yourself do this in spite of us. In spite of our broken wanters that always want the wrong thing, that are always pulling us in the wrong direction, Lord, just have the grace to reach down into our hearts and correct them. Lord, give us new hearts that would pursue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.